0: This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hey, welcome back to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, check us out on YouTube, and you'll get a look at our guest and some graphics. And uh, today we have a great show. In 1954, the United States Congress amended the 1938 Act that made Armistice Day a holiday, striking the word armistice in favor of Veterans Day. Professor President Dwight David Eisenhower signed the legislation on June 1st, 1954, and from then on, November 11th became a day to honor veterans of all wars. According to the Department of Justice COP's office, nearly 25% of American law enforcement have a military background. We thank them for their service. Our guest today is Clark Pennington. He is the chief operating officer of the Independence Fund and executive director of the First Responder Action Group, FRAG, which is home to Veteran Justice Initiative. Pennington is a retired law enforcement officer who last served as chief of police for the town of Matthews, and he is a U.S. military veteran. Welcome to Policing Matters, Clark Pennington, and thank you for your service.
1: Thank you very much, it's an honor to be here.
0: So tell us about the Veterans Justice Initiative. What's that about?
1: So the Veterans Justice Initiative was initially uh, founded and developed. It was created under the Independence Fund um, with partnership with North Carolina. We are a program uh, under the uh, House bill that was was passed under No Veteran Left Behind. Uh, Our real goal is to confront the underlying deeply rooted mental health and substance abuse issues within our veteran community.
0: And so how are veterans reached uh, to get the services?
1: So a couple of different ways. Uh, The Independence Fund is a national nonprofit that serves uh, our veteran population. Initially, we were founded uh, to serve our catastrophically wounded veterans, their caregivers and their families. Um, But understanding the, the depth of the mental health issues that that come from deployments in war zones that come from sometimes service and some of the acute or chronic exposures to traumas that they see, you know, we've expanded our programs and we have multiple programs under the Independence Fund and the Veterans Justice Initiative is just one of those, but our veterans under the Veterans Justice Initiative are reached in several different ways. Uh, We partner with local law enforcement, our sheriff's office, our first responder community, including our fire and EMS and our community partners to really identify those veterans within our communities that really could could benefit from the services that we provide. And those services uh, are multifaceted. We take a holistic approach to what we do at the Veterans Justice Initiative. But our real goal is is to intercede within that criminal justice process early and hopefully before it even becomes a justice-involved veteran, meaning somebody who maybe is arrested or placed on probation or, or placed into to treatment facilities, court ordered. We work with our law enforcement to identify those, that population within their jurisdiction, and then allows us and our case managers to really work with those veterans to get them assistance so that if they are struggling with mental health, we can work with the VA or any of our other community care partners to get them the assistance they need. And hopefully early in those contacts by our law enforcement, we're able to make a difference so that it doesn't progress into some criminality or an arrest uh, in the future by, of one of our veterans.
0: Yeah, that's that's so important to, to catch it early. Do you have specific programs aimed at veteran law enforcement officers?
1: We do. So we take a three prong approach here at, uh, at the Veterans Justice Initiative. We train all law enforcement officers uh, and we've trained over three thousand first responders and community partners here in the state of North Carolina. Really, on the culture of military, uh, the the culture that they understand and that they've lived uh, so many years and how it transitions from that culture into civilian life, and how that might result in or manifest itself into crisis. By our law enforcement officers understanding that culture, and really, when you think about the law enforcement culture in and of itself, it's very similar to our to our military backgrounds, right? we We were serving in an environment where we were doing such important work for our country and for the service. Um, to our fellow Americans, that when we transitioned or when somebody transitioned into law enforcement, it's really that same drive of integrity and uh, and service above self that really pushes them to do what they do. But understanding what pushes them and being able to have empathy and understanding of what our veterans are dealing with or what they also uh, resonate with really helps them come together and, and develop that hook, develop that that kind of understanding between the two so that they can work through and hopefully get that veteran who's in crisis de-escalated, decriminalize their mental health aspect of it, and then hopefully divert them into a program that will result in uh, no criminalization.
0: Yeah, that's important. And and I'm glad you drew the parallels between law enforcement and, and military service, both noble callings. And sometimes I know we feel that we're unappreciated, and that could be part of the problem, the underlying problem. So what's the process do you use, uh, do you involve the medical people for evaluations, Um, you have outreach workers, and I guess there's some sort of matrix they follow?
1: So what we do, as as I talked about that three prong, the first is we want to train our law enforcement, right? We want them to understand military culture, understand the crisis intervention model, de-escalate as it relates to our military members, and then ultimately connect them with resources. Uh, The second prong of that is we have we have uh, multiple area managers here within the state of North Carolina that works with our law enforcement officers. They then will connect with the veteran, hopefully get them into a treatment program if they need to help them work through sometimes disability rating issues that they may have and ultimately get them into a position where they're able to better take care of themselves or even transition more smoothly into what they are doing now, which is a civilian life. Uh, we also work with our local uh, communities, our, our court systems, where we help set up veteran treatment courts. You know, you look at, for example, and I'll just use the state of North Carolina as, as a prime example. The state of North Carolina, when we started, they had five veteran treatment courts within 100 counties in the state. Those veteran treatment courts afford our veteran population and the police to work together to to help that veteran get back into a regimented. If you will, type uh, mentality into understanding they're going to show up for. In the past, it might have been guard mount. It might have been, you know, some roll call or whatever that might have looked like. It gets them back into that process, gives them a system in place to help them navigate the the, the court system. So, in those three prongs, we think it's a very holistic approach to really working with our police, our firefighters, our EMS, other community partners like our mental health associations to really navigate those unique. Issues that some of our veteran populations face.
0: Sure, and and some of those just might be from you know observed trauma, vicarious trauma, uh, in in law enforcement. You know, we're we're wrestling with people. We're getting into traffic collisions. Um, talking to some people uh, in our last episode, we talked about cop line, uh, a suicide, uh, cop line, and talking about repetitive uh, head trauma or um, uh, brain trauma. Uh, so, we also have um, the the military experience and uh, the, the people who do the outreach, you have veteran officers looking for people to intake, your counselors, what, what's their background?
1: We do. We have a chief clinical officer who uh, works not only in the veteran space, he's a retired uh, Marine Corps officer, but also works in federal law enforcement. Um, and- I just want to go back to one thing you mentioned there I think is so important to talk about. You know, you look at the suicide issues that we're seeing in our, our veteran population, which I know is 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 what we're kind of here to talk about a little bit, is when you look at 17, 18 veterans a day dying of suicide, and it's because of that acute or that chronic trauma that they've experienced during their service, there is such a parallel to, to kind of look at with officer resiliency and, and understanding that a lot of what we've learned over the last 20 years during the wars that we've experienced and the the traumatic brain injuries, the TBIs that our soldiers and sailors and Marines have have experienced, we can look at what we've learned in that space and apply it to law enforcement. Because the amount of PTS that some law enforcement experiences as a result of their 20 or 30 or 40-year careers does start to manifest itself when they start to transition out of a regimented Law enforcement career into a civilian law enforcement. So the Veterans Justice Initiative also works alongside many different sheriffs across the country, uh, chiefs of police, to look at officer resiliency and how can we, as the Veterans Justice Initiative, use the lessons learned in our military community to really apply them to our law enforcement community and start to take action to reduce the amount of suicide we see within our, our police community or our law enforcement community and how does that parallel some of the efforts that we're taking to reduce the suicides in our our military or our veteran population?
0: Yeah, it's so important. Um, we've had the law enforcement uh officers memorial come on and talk about, you know, the 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 large number of police officers suicide as well, and exactly from the things that you were just talking about. Hey, I want to talk to you about uh veteran veteran police officers, and maybe spotting things before they get into crisis mode or before a third party intervenes. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's l-e-x-i-p-o-l.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Clark Pennington, chief operating officer for the Veterans Justice Initiative and in FRAG. Now, Clark, uh, we talked a little bit about police officer and veteran suicide. Uh, what can be done for a veteran police officer experiencing the early warning signs? Is there a hotline or a drop, off, drop in facility for immediate follow up? Uh, I hate to think that you know we only see people after they've reached the crisis stage.
1: Yeah, and I think that's so important to, to remember if we're talking about two different issues here. if we're talking about the veteran suicide, if a veteran police officer or a police officer on the street comes into contact with a veteran and they start to see signs of crisis uh, and using some of the the things that we've learned in crisis intervention and trying to identify when a person is in crisis and intervening very early. The way that we see in dealing with some of our veteran and some of our our crisis that we see on the street, Law enforcement has a limited response. They can either uh, do what's called an emergency petition in Maryland or an involuntary committal here in North Carolina, whatever it's called in their state, by taking that person to the hospital. Second is if there's a criminal matter, we, we place them under arrest. Or third, typically, they would just walk away. Well, FRAG and the Veterans Justice Initiative is providing that fourth option. We're providing an outreach where we can interact with that veteran to hopefully get them into some level of, of treatment if need be, substance abuse, or whatever the ailment may be that, that's, that they're struggling with and try to work through that. But on the other side, looking at law enforcement, again, using a lot of what we've learned from the DOD and the VA and what they've, they've done, the studies on on these the impacts of, of trauma on our veterans, we've got to look in-house. We've got to look at law enforcement. We've got to say, you know, we're dealing with a lot of the same traumas, a lot of the same exposures to death, car accidents, child abuse, child abandonment, all of the different things that really weigh on us as professionals. We need to also use our crisis intervention training to kind of help each other. We need to be that resiliency, you know, sounding post for our partners. We need to be able to identify when one of our our, our buddies, our, our, our brothers, our sisters in blue are starting to struggle and be that person that kind of steps in and says, hey, maybe we need to talk a little bit or use our uh, employee assistance program to try to get some outreach or honestly reach out to FRAG. You know, we are here for all of our first responder community and, and we will help as much as we possibly can. as I said, we're working through the officer resiliency space, we're working through the mental health space, um, and we have, you know, individuals and resources that we connect, can connect them to.
0: Yeah, that's great. And we've posted all your links in the show notes below. So anybody listening to the podcast can go check out those websites. Hey, you talk about resiliency. I think that's great to teach resiliency. But sometimes there's that stigma where people just don't want to reach out for help, uh, regardless of the issues. But I mean, you're talking about the, you know, the big three of homelessness, substance abuse and alcoholism or maybe for mental illness. How do you get involved with clients? I know you have officers reaching out. There's a seminal uh, article by Malcolm Gladwell called The Million Dollar Murray, and it's about a veteran uh, in Reno, Nevada, who's just over years has taken up millions of dollars worth of services. How do we identify that person? Is it third parties that get them into treatment? And is it one time and it's fixed, or is it a multiple attempt before we can really start making impact?
1: yeah. so so our connections come through a multifacet of, of areas, right? A lot of it comes in from referrals from law enforcement officers on the street who are dealing with somebody in crisis who hasn't quite reached that level of criminality. Or if they do, that still doesn't mean that they're they're pulling from the the opportunity to to have serve to have service, right? So a lot of our law enforcement officers will refer individuals over to us before they get arrested and sometimes after and some as they get IBCed or emergency petition or taken to a hospital whatever term is used in, in that jurisdiction we're able to then get a waiver from that veteran and start to work through the process the last part of the question I think was you know is it one and done it's absolutely not we all know mental health is an ongoing process it's an ongoing um really not struggle but it's an ongoing effort on all of our parts to watch our partners watch our partners back watch the veterans back, serve a population that served us by really helping them continue with their mental health treatment. Everything we do has impacts left and right, right? So what we do as an individual may have an impact to somebody on our left or somebody on our right. And keeping that awareness and understanding that, that if that person to the left might be struggling, we need to connect, have that, that buddy process, if you will. And in the military, you know they have battle buddies, um, the Independence Fund does another program where we bring combat units back together in the the uh, formation in which they deployed to bring them back into that that camaraderie to really start helping each other watch out for the other. Law enforcement's the same aspect. You know, when we retire, I retired from an agency outside of, in Maryland, uh, outside the Baltimore-Washington region, and when I left, I lost a lot of those contacts, whether by choice or or not. You know, it takes constant effort to get back into that body and to continue to have that person who maybe have, has been through some of the things we've been through, either in the career or in life, that understands that that's a struggle, it's our outlet to communicate with, and it's also somebody who can give us real answers when we need to hear them.
0: That's awesome. Hey, what's your capacity? How many have taken advantage of the services there in, in North Carolina?
1: Yeah, so, so the Veterans Justice Initiative, we've we've served over 250 veterans, and when you look at uh, the process of really diverting them out of the criminal justice process, it's about forty-nine to $50,000 a year to house an inmate in either a local or state prison. With 250 of those, at least 40 of them are have been diverted from the criminal justice process, serving not, or saving, I should say, not only the state of North Carolina, but all of its constituents from around the region, over $2 million just in the first year of deployment. So at 250 members served, Some of those are homeless where we've helped um, increase their disability ratings or even get disability ratings and give them an opportunity to step off of the street to be able to take care of themselves, to get an apartment, to start looking for a job. You know, there takes a lot of different um, steps to be able to to overcome that homelessness issue um, from getting a place to live, a phone, being able to connect with, uh, you know, mail and all of those other things that happen when you get a job offer. So, you know, the Independence Fund and the Veterans Justice Initiative takes it very seriously. 250 members in the first year. I think that's a, an exciting number for us.
0: Yeah, and we have collaborative courts here in California. We have a veterans court, and uh, oftentimes they're referred out rather than uh, go the traditional criminal route to to do some services and, and some therapy as well. Are your plan, uh, is your plan to go national to replicate this across the country?
1: I think North Carolina has empowered us to set a process in place that we have proven works. I think we are we we have shown the state of North Carolina and the members here how much we're dedicated to ensuring our veteran population that served all of us that we're still willing to give them service also. Um, yes, we are looking and talking to a couple other states that are really impressed with the state of North Carolina and our process, and uh, we're in, we're in conversations about how it might work within their jurisdiction.
0: Awesome. How can our listeners find out more, take advantage of the services, make referrals, volunteer, donate uh, to the con- or contribute to the Veterans Justice Initiative?
1: Great question. So as you said, we are a nonprofit. So we are driven by um, For the North Carolina base. Uh, obviously, we're funded through the state, but all of our efforts in other states, um, for example, say Maryland or Tennessee or wherever we might look to go is all done through donations. Um, they can find us on uh, fragheroes.org. Or they can go right through the independencefund.org and click on the Veterans Justice Initiative. And there is an opportunity to, one, learn more about us, to reach out to us, to have conversations if they need to. And then third, if they would, if they wish, um, we would accept donations.
0: Awesome. Hey, thanks for taking time. Clark Pennington, Chief Operating Officer for the Veterans Justice Initiative. And FRAG, hey, thank you for your service. Thanks for what you're doing for other veterans.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Hey, thanks to all our veterans and special thanks to our veteran police officers. We appreciate your continued service. To our listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you found today's show interesting. Uh, drop me a line at PolicingMatters at PoliceOne.com. And happy Veterans Day. Thanks again for your service. Thank you.